Amen. Well, I am, I've been really excited about this service for a few weeks now, and one of the reasons I'm excited is because um, we've got a little update to give about our immigration clinic that we have up on our second floor at Embrace. Um, many of you all may remember probably a couple, two and a half years ago when we kind of launched uh, this new initiative in partnership with some folks from church, but also some folks from the community. Um, as far as folks who live even in Louisville, uh, it was quite the community who came together to get this new initiative started. But Neighbors Immigration Clinic provides affordable, um, low-cost legal services for immigrants here in particularly in central Kentucky and, and even beyond in eastern Kentucky as well, and, and even in northern Kentucky now also. And so it's a, it's a wonderful um, thing that we have going, and, and I was really just excited to get this thing going, and we launched right at the beginning of the pandemic, which is a really hard time to start a nonprofit. And it is, um, it's, been, it's been a challenge, but there has been a lot of just wonderful fruit already. You may remember that Sarah Adkins, who was a part of our church, who is now moving up to northern Kentucky, um, worked with some other folks here at this church to help launch this and was our first executive director and also did some of the legal work and really built a good foundation for us. And now um, she moved on at the end of last year, and we've been in a few months of transition, trying to figure out what's next, hire some new folks, created a new structure where we now have two full-time people uh, help leading. We have an executive director and a legal director, and so the executive director is in charge of visioning and really helping oversee the bigger picture and making sure that the organization is healthy and, and moving in the right direction, and the legal director is responsible for kind of overseeing um, just the, the legal side of things and seeing clients and really is really doing things really at the heart of what the mission of Neighbors Immigration Clinic is all about. And so we're really excited because we posted those jobs. It took a little while to get some good candidates and interview folks. And finally, we are fully staffed, and we're really excited about it, and we're just pumped about the future and, and what we can really do together um, with, with neighbors and our partnership with the church and, and with the broader community as well. And so we have a special guest this morning. Our new executive director is named Jesus Abanez. And so I'm going to invite Jesus to come on up. Let's give him a hand. As he comes to the front. A few months ago, we hired our legal director, and her name is Sophia, and she has hit the ground running and just really uh, doing an awesome job so far. And Jesus has been with us for just a few weeks now, still trying to wrap his head around all this stuff because it's really hard to jump into a brand new thing. Um, but we've had a lot of conversation recently, um, just visioning together and thinking about just what we could get involved in, some trouble we can get into in our community to really come alongside our immigrant neighbors to provide a community uh, of hospitality and love and welcome um, to our immigrant neighbors because um, that, that is at the heart of our faith as Christians and ultimately this is what we ought to be focused on as, as just humans uh, because um, we, are, we are better off together and I do believe that, you know, this idea, I love this African concept of Ubuntu. It's this idea that I am because you are, that you are because I am, that we are all interconnected, and when one person is suffering, we are all suffering. And so uh, we've got to be paying special attention to those who have not been welcomed and those who have not been empowered and, and shown the dignity and value that they, they deserve, uh, that inherent value that all of us have, because we believe as Christians that all of us are created in the image of God, right? We all bear that, that mark within us, and 
And so Jesus has got some wonderful ideas and, and already of how we can better do that together um, as a community here. And so I'm going to turn it over to Jesus, and he's going to share just a little bit um, with you all this morning about himself and about neighbors, and, uh, and then I'm going to share a little bit as well um, after he's done. Good morning, everybody. As uh, John said, my name is uh, Jesus Ibanez, which I know can be a little bit difficult to pronounce if you don't speak Spanish. So if you have trouble saying my name, you can always call me by my nickname. It's Huisilopotzli. <laughs> that joke sells every single time. I think I might have missed my calling. So I, I know uh, today is a special day, and some of you uh, are here to hear the pastor's sermon. So uh, I'll keep my speech, my, my words, short and sweet, just like me. So, so there are uh, a few things you should know about me. Uh, first of all, I was born and raised in California for the most part. Uh, shortly after uh, being born, my, excuse me. My family moved back to uh, Mexico and um, eventually returned to the U.S. Actually, some of my first memories are crossing uh, the U.S.-Mexico border with my undocumented mother and my undocumented brother. And uh, Spanish is my first language. So growing up in a mixed-status family really opened my eyes. I, I could not understand as a child why Somebody who looked like me, my brother, my mother, were experiencing things that did not, uh, did not affect me, right? That struggled with things that I did not struggle because I had the privilege of U.S. citizenship. And that was very formative. It planted a seed in me. Because of their struggles, I decided that I wanted to change the system so nobody would struggle the way they had struggled. So nobody would struggle the way we had struggled as a mixed-status family. Another thing you should know about me is that I always root for the underdog. And that's what Neighbors is. It's the underdog. It's the new kid on the block. When people ask me, why would you move from California to Lexington to work for Neighbors? Well... Neighbors, it's a very magnetic, it's a very attractive organization for several reasons. Thanks to our incredible legal director, Sofia Calleja, Neighbors has transitioned to a new organizational model. Neighbors is turning a new leaf. It, always, it has been doing incredible work and is going to continue to do even more incredible work. Neighbors is the only immigration legal services organization in central Kentucky and quite possibly the entire state of Kentucky that is wholly staffed and led by brown people who have been directly impacted by the U.S. immigration system. That is incredible. That is, it gives me so much pride and so much, so much honor 
a privilege to work with such an organization. But at the same time, it's unfortunate that we are the first and that we are the only one. No longer is it okay for organizations that do immigration legal services not to have in leadership positions individuals who have been impacted by issues. It's no longer okay. Other organizations should take neighbors' lead. A third thing you should know about me is that while I'm new to Lexington, I'm not new to Kentucky. I actually lived about six years in uh, Louisville. I went to law school at the University of Louisville, so please don't hold that against me. <laughs> My years in Louisville were very formative. Yes, I built a foundation in activism in California, but organizing in Louisville and in Kentucky is very different. I was involved in a lot of movement spaces. I was involved with organizers and organizations who call themselves black liberationists, prison abolitionists, individuals and organizations that advocated against the school to prison pipeline. And of course, individuals that advocated against the deportation machine. And thanks to that advocacy with those organizers, Louisville became the first sanctuary jurisdiction in the state of Kentucky. And to my understanding, it's still the only sanctuary jurisdiction in the Commonwealth. We also revolutionized immigration advocacy by implementing nonviolent direct action. We showcased this action in summer 2018 through this movement called Abolish ICE. That, the, the strategy we used had never been seen in Louisville. It was really incredible to see different organizations, different individuals, faith-based organizations come together with people who call themselves anarchists, socialists, and undocumented people to try to effectuate change and bring attention to issues that were affecting those individuals. It is my hope and it is my dream to bring that knowledge and that experience to neighbors so that neighbors can expand their services to include more than just legal services. Imagine, if you will, a neighbors that does political advocacy, a neighbors that does community organizing, a neighbors that does leadership development, and a neighbors that, of course, does nonviolent direct action. Wow, what an incredible dream, right? Some of you might be excited by what I just said. Some of you might be a little bit hesitant or scared, and both those points of view are valid. To those of you who are asking, how do I get involved in this new neighbors? Well, to be honest, our biggest need right now is financial solidarity. Neighbors, for the most part, is funded by donors, such as y'all. And I have to acknowledge there are some people here today 
who donated to neighbors in the past and continue to donate to neighbors. But we're always looking for new donors. One-time donors, monthly donors, all donors are welcome. It is our hope that in the near future, there will be a volunteer opportunities for individuals to translate, to interpret, to give rides, and other forms of volunteerism. And if you're still unsure how you can be part of this new neighbors, come talk to me. I am on the second floor, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. I would love to talk to you about how you can fit in into this new neighbor. And also be here, I'll be here after the services if y'all want to talk one-on-one -on -one as well. Uh, before I uh, end this talk, I want to lead you all in a chant. Uh, some of you may be familiar with this chant. It's called the Si Se Puede chant, which was made famous by the United Farm Workers of the 1960s and 70s, which you can see on my shirt, the UFW. Um, some of you probably haven't heard of it. And for those of you who haven't heard of it, uh, you're in luck because you're about to learn some Spanish today. So I start off by asking, se puede, which is, can we, or is it possible? And you all reply with, si, se puede, which is, yes, we can, or yes, it's possible. Are you all ready? Awesome, awesome. So, se puede? Se puede? Se puede? It feels good to be back in Kentucky. I'm excited about the future. Thank you. Jesus asked me this week, he said, I have a question for you. Can I lead a chant on Sunday? <laughs> And I said, of course you can. <laughs> Absolutely, you can lead a chant. Um, thank you, Jesus, for sharing your heart with us this morning. I look forward to continuing to work together um, in the upcoming months and years ahead. And I'm sure that there will be lots of opportunities to, to get together and conspire together how we can make an impact in our community. And we will welcome Jesus' knowledge of organizing as well as he brings that to neighbors um, he's going to be an executive director that also has a passion for activism and organizing, which I'm very, very excited about. We talk about it at our church, you know, sometimes churches can be really good at kind of meeting basic needs and responding to crises and, and, and helping address problems as they arise, but, but churches are not usually very good at asking the deeper question of why are these problems happening in the first place, you know, and I've shared with you that image of like, you know, you can imagine a, a river and you, you see bodies just flowing down the river and and you're like, oh, people are drowning, I need to help them. And so you go and you try to pull people out of the river and save them. And, and maybe you can save one or two, but then they just keep on coming. And they start to add up, and then, and then you're missing people because you can't, you don't have enough people. And then you're like, let's keep saving people. And, and no one really often has the sense to ask, okay, well, why are they in the river in the first place? Maybe we need to go upstream, and we need to find out who's throwing them in the river, and, and why they're in the river, and we need to do the work to, to make those changes. And so when he talks about policy change and political activism, this is the kind of work we're talking about. It's, it's dealing with root causes and really trying to make more systemic, long-lasting change so we're not just putting out fires all the time. And so I'm really excited about the opportunity to learn and follow uh, their lead because I, I think that we will do well 
um, to follow the lead of our, our new leadership at Neighbors as we continue to ask the hard questions and ask how we can continue to follow what we believe as a church is, is Jesus' calling to, to come alongside others in solidarity who, who need kind of advocates and people to come alongside them in their journey uh, towards, towards finding wholeness in their lives. And so thank you, Jesus, for sharing with us today. So as I've already said, today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, the traditional color for Pentecost is red, which is supposed to point to the flame uh, fire because that's often an image used uh, when we talk about God's spirit. Um, we are a United Methodist Church, and as you can see, the, our, our symbol is the cross and the flame, and the flame is supposed to symbolize God's spirit, that fire uh, that burns within us. This is the day that we remember the incredible gift of God's spirit, and it is an incredible gift. We believe that this is the same spirit that was with God at the beginning when the earth was created. We read that the Spirit hovered over the waters. This is the same Spirit that brought Pharaoh to his knees and led the Israelites to freedom from slavery in Egypt. This is the same Spirit that guided them through the wilderness for 40 years. This is the same Spirit that empowered prophets to speak truth to power and call people to repentance and to love and to justice. This is the same Spirit that consumed Jesus and drove Him to fiercely love the hurting and the oppressed and the overlooked. This is the same Spirit that gave Jesus the courage He needed, the, the, the inner fortitude He needed to endure the cross and the power to overcome death through His resurrection. And as Christians, we believe that that same Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh, has been given to us, and now lives within us. Pentecost is that day when the Spirit was poured out on everyone that was there. Uh, Felice has described this as a beautiful redistribution of power. It, it is The Spirit was then given to all who were there. Many of Jesus' followers were there in Jerusalem on that day roughly 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East. And they were there in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. It filled them up and them to preach the Gospel and carry on the mission of Jesus in their community. And as you read through the book of Acts, which comes after Jesus had died, He rose, and then He ascended into heaven. You know, they, they were on their own at this point. And you start to see as you read through Acts, which tells the story of the very first Christians, you see them start to show this courage. And I always wonder, where did this courage come from? They were boldly speaking truth, God's truth, in very public places. Peter immediately after he is filled up with the Spirit, just stands up in front of this entire group of people and just starts boldly proclaiming the truth that God had put in his heart. You start to see the, the followers of Jesus get in trouble, showing courage, even giving their lives for the movement. You see them making sacrifices for each other, sharing their resources. Some even sold homes and would give their money to the community. Our text for today is in chapter 2, which we'll read in a moment. And, and we only have to go two chapters later to chapter 4, 
And we see Peter and John being hauled in in front of the authorities, being questioned and interrogated. In the next chapter, many more are arrested and they are abused and they are flogged. Then in the next two chapters, we read about Stephen who was arrested and who was stoned to death by the authorities. And the pattern just continues. They have this courageous kind of public action and speaking and and, and reaching out and touching people and healing them. And then you see them getting into great trouble with the authorities. And it just keeps happening over and over and over again. Then we get all the way to chapter 17. They were in a place called Thessalonica. And some folks there were furious that Paul and Silas had shown up to their town because they had heard rumors about Paul and about Silas and the rest of their crew. And here's what they said. They complained that these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And they didn't want them there. They said, and Jason, this other guy, he's entertaining them as guests. He says, they are all acting contrary to the decrees of our emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. What a transformation that they went through. These followers of Jesus who were once scared to death. I mean, after Jesus died, they were hiding out in a locked room of a safe house in Jerusalem. And it didn't take long for them to find the courage within to take their ministry and message to the streets, proclaiming that another world is indeed possible. And this transformation inspires me. Um, It inspires me. I've shared this with you before, but I've always been someone who struggles with fear and has struggled to kind of step forward when I know I need to, if it's going to be hard, if it's going to be risky. And I'm so inspired by their courage and their willingness to do something that caused so much trouble for them and for many others. What caused this change? Where did they find that courage? I want to just read the text for today for you. It comes from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read 21 verses. And this is the story of Pentecost. So it says when the day of Pentecost came, this was a Jewish festival that they were celebrating, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. They said we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have just had too much wine. 
Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven and above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. At the beginning of this passage, we read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So all the disciples and some others were there in one place. And when you look back at chapter 1, you see that they were in Jerusalem in the upper room of a home. This is likely the same upper room where they were hiding out just before Jesus' execution and then after his execution. We often miss this part of the story, but you have to imagine that these disciples were in a very risky situation. They were likely fugitives. There were likely authorities looking for them. Their, their leader, Jesus, had just been arrested and executed for crimes against the state. They were probably coming after the followers as well. You can imagine this upper room more like a safe house attic where they hid from the authorities since they were so closely associated with the criminal executed Jesus. In the upper room was likely a mixture of people. It would have been men and women and children praying together as they waited for the gift that Jesus had promised them. I imagine they were feeling a lot of emotions in that moment. Great expectation of the gift. Fear of the authorities. Sadness that Jesus had left them. Shame maybe over the ways they had let Him down. And as they prayed, it says the Spirit filled them. It rested upon them like fire. And they immediately left their private home and they took this boundary-breaking message of the Gospel out into the public. This part of the story is very strange because it starts in this room and it's like almost magically they're out in the streets and all the people are there. It's like it just immediately, soon as they received the Spirit, they had to take it out of the home, out into the streets. These scared fugitive disciples were transformed into bold witnesses for Jesus. You know, it wasn't until last year that I actually considered that this story began in the privacy and safety of this home, this safe house attic, but the Spirit empowered them, and then all of a sudden they had the courage to take the message of Jesus out into the public. They refused to give up. They backed down, never backed down, and they did not lose hope as they carried the boundary-breaking and liberating gospel of Jesus throughout their community. This reminds me uh, of a lot of people throughout history. More recently, it reminds me of these students, um, the Parkland students, if y'all remember, who have the courage to courageously go out 
and take a public stand against gun violence, even if they've been vilified and demonized and harassed by, you know, grown adults uh, attacking them over their stand against gun violence. It reminds me of all the, the folks involved in the freedom movement back during the time Martin Luther King and John Lewis and the members of SNCC and so many others who stepped out of their churches and out into the streets and walked in places where they were told that they couldn't. Jesus mentioned just a few minutes ago um, Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and their bold public declaration, Si Se Puede, in the face of harsh oppression of farm workers in the U.S., it reminds me of the Palestinian Christians and Muslims who are taking to the streets to non-violently protest the occupation of their land. It reminds me of these Christian peacemaker teams who went to Baghdad during the shock and awe campaign in 2003 to stand in solidarity with the Iraqis and protest the war. It reminds me of countless moms of young people killed by police violence who are leading marches and pressuring city councils for policy change and working to end gun violence and police brutality. It reminds me of a hero of mine, Oscar Romero, who decided he had to pick a side, and he stood in solidarity with the victims of violence and oppression in El Salvador. There's so many other examples we could come up with of people who had the courage to take their private faith and allow it to not just be something that they hold inside, but it led them and drove them out into the public to come alongside people and work for God's freedom and justice in this world. You know, we sang songs today about revival. Um, people talk about revival a lot. It's a very um, important thing to talk about. I've heard time and time again people say that we need revival in our nation. We need revival in our churches. People are praying for a new Pentecost, for a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit in our communities. And I agree that we do need a new Pentecost. We do need revival. We need a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit. But revival, you need to understand, revival is way more than just passionate singing or fervent prayer or more talking about Jesus. True Spirit-filled revival must lead to action. The Spirit has a mission. And the Spirit's mission is to carry on the mission of Jesus. And so if you want to know what the Spirit is all about, you need to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and not, not just read about Jesus, but look and see what He did, what He said, what He taught, how He lived His life. Look and see how people responded to Jesus. The Spirit's job is to continue on the ministry and mission of Jesus in this world. And so true Spirit-filled revival ought to make us look and act and become more like Him. Jesus' healing and freedom, liberation, justice, and love. This is what revival ought to lead us to. And here's my thought about all this, that true revival will not just make us more spiritual, but will drive us actually outside of our church, out into the community, to join up with others, to see God's work be done here in this world. You know, you've heard this morning from two of our, our, our main two partner organizations that we have here in our space, Common Good, who has our whole basement, and the neighbors who's up in our top floor in our building. And I think joining up with them initially through financial solidarity of Jesus Ask for Help With, through mentoring at Common Good and volunteering there, those are a good step 
if you're wondering how you might join up with God's Spirit in the Spirit's work to create a more loving and just and equitable community. You know, Pentecost is often called the birthday of the church because it's really that moment when when they decided we're going to stand up and be the people that God has called us to be. And every year at Pentecost, we have the opportunity to look back at the previous year and kind of dream together of what our future can look like together in community. Birthdays are our perfect time for taking stock of our lives. Jesus and I were talking this past week, and he said he likes the beginning of the month because the beginning of the month is a time to think differently and to try to start over, right? Birthdays are similar. It's a time every year to ask those questions about where we've been and where we're going to go. And so as a church, as a community, we have an opportunity to do that every year on Pentecost. And so we need to think, how, who do we want to be? What path do we want to go down? And so what we're going to do to end our time together today is we're going to just reflect um, individually, and I want you all to, to just use, just ask God and really think about how you might answer a couple of questions that we're going to put on the screen. So you can go ahead and put those up, Jeremy, and they're right here. And the first question is, how would you like to see the Spirit move in a fresh way in our next year together as a church? So as you think about, how, what would you like to see happen? What is God putting on your heart this morning? How would you like to see the Spirit move in a fresh way in our next year together as a church community? And then the second question is similar, but a bit broader. Because we don't just have to think about right here, but, but we're really called to get outside of just our community. So how would you like to see the Spirit move in the next year in our community in Lexington and beyond?